I want to jump into a scripture from the book of Joshua. So if you've got your Bible, you can go with me to Joshua chapter 4. Um, if you're using a smart version, we, we welcome that here. Do the smartest thing you can do with your smart device. Put it on Do Not Disturb and open up the Bible. I'm in the New Living Translation today if you'd like to follow along there. If not, the words are on the screen and I'd love for you to follow along. But I love giving context when I share. And the book of Joshua is the first book that talks about God's people going from being enslaved to becoming a free nation. Not just a free nation, but God's nation. Um, the first five books set that up, and it talks about uh, getting out of Egypt and getting out of a place of slavery and getting out of a place of bondage, and there's a lot of setup, but it is in Joshua that the people finally become inhabitants of the promised land. It's in Joshua. It's not until Joshua takes lead that they have a crossover moment. And I want to read Joshua chapter 4 to you today where it says, When all the people had crossed over the Jordan, someone say crossed over. When they finally crossed over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, and I know many of you know this, he said, Now choose 12 men, one from each tribe, and tell them to take 12 stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan River, which has miraculously dried up. Grab some of those riverbed stones and carry them out and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. Skip forward to verse 21. It says, Then Joshua said to the Israelites, In the future, your children will ask, What do these stones mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. What do these stones mean? What does this thing you built it could be modernized. What does this brick and mortar mean? What does this structure that you erected, what do these stones that I'm encountering right now, what do they mean? What is it all about? And you will tell your children when they ask, what does it mean? Then you could tell them, this is where God's people, the Israelites, crossed over the Jordan onto dry ground. For the Lord your God miraculously dried up the river right before your eyes and he kept it dry until you, someone say you, until you were across just as he did at the Red Sea when he dried it up until we had all crossed over. He did this so all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful and that you might also fear the Lord, your God, forever. It was a crossover day. It was the crossover day. There was more work to be done. There was more that the people of God were going to do to set up the place we know today as Jerusalem, to set up what we have read about. But it is in Joshua that they took their first step into God's promised land. And, and it was a big, big day. Have you ever been on the heels of a, a, a long-awaited goal before? On the verge of something you waited for for a long time? I think about when I asked this question about the night before 
our wedding. Come on, I'm, I'm a Cajun from South Louisiana. I had to transport my wife from Salisbury, Maryland, the great city of Salisbury, down to Louisiana so that so I, ha, I had a spiritual woman there, right? And then she said she had to transport me back. I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not. Come on, she, you giving the glory wave right now? I think, I think that was the glory kind of wave. Um, I remember the night before our wedding. I, I remember the excitement, the anticipation, the the, I get to marry the woman that I have prayed for, looked forward to, been dating, fallen in, fall in love with, and I can't wait. I think about other long-awaited goals. What about the night before graduation? Many of you, come on, this was a big feat. Or maybe the night before your first child when you didn't know if it was the night before your first child. And if you knew it was the night before your first child, you would have been less anxious so that you could have gotten some sleep before your first child. Any newborn parents, give me an amen up in here. Maybe the night before your first serious job. We're just like, come on, I don't want to mess this up. I've been excited about this, I've been studying for this, I've been pr praying for this, I've been preparing for this. And the question that comes up when you're on the verge of a long-awaited goal is, since tomorrow changes everything, what do you do next, and does God care what you choose? Since tomorrow changes everything, what do you do next, and does God care what you choose? And that's where the Israelites are when they cross over in Joshua chapter 4. 400 years they've been in captivity in Egypt. Another 40 years they've been wandering around aimlessly in a desert, parched, hot, looking for the promised land. An entire generation has passed. This is no small feat. It is no less than 440 years of people crying out, of people praying, of people believing, of people trying to follow God. And they are about to have a long-awaited goal. Decades of toil and pain, generational feelings of inadequacy, of weakness, of inferiority, of, all, of hearing I'm God's people, but not thinking I'm God's people. And on this day, they are on the verge of crossover. Come on. This church is experiencing a crossover moment right now. And if you're new here, or if this is your very first time, I want to say welcome to you, as we like to say, welcome home. If you don't have a church home, we hope that this becomes your church home. We invite you to worship with us. Everybody's on a different spot of their spiritual journey, but we believe you could start right where you're at and take your next steps. If you're here celebrating with us, thank you so, so much. My wife and I are so touched. We are honored that you're here today, and we are just so excited you're here. And if you want to, adopt our story as your own, because I'm going to tell it to you right now. And people have joined from time to time. And it, it, here's the spirit of God. God operates in the spirit of adoption, which means... I might not have been a part of the beginning of this story, but I'm a part of it now, which means everything in the past has become mine today. Somebody say adopted. Come on, God is all about adoption. So adopt this story if you don't feel like it's just yours yet. Make it yours now. This church began over four and a half years ago, about five years ago, 
with a little less than 35 people on the back porch of my in-law's house when it was just a seed and a dream and a vision in our heart where we believed God was saying, here's a vision. Here's a vision for Salisbury. Here's what we want you to be about and to do. And 35 people showed up. And over the next six months, we continued to meet weekly. And that grew to over 120 people that on January 27th, 2019, uh, we had our very first experience together where 555 people packed out a Regal Theater. And the most important part is that 24 people gave their life to Jesus that day. That's the part to get loud about. I remember just a few months later, we had our first baptism. But because we didn't have permission at Regal to fill up 400 gallons of water in their theater, some were saying, just do it and ask for permission later. Like, apologize later. I'm like, I can't do it, man. I can't do it. And, and we did it. And so we had this 3,000 square foot annex space, 2,000 square foot where we could meet. Fire marshal said about 100 people could show up. I tried to share that the most important number in our church is baptism. Because it, it represents when people say, I've given my life to Jesus Christ and I'm going public with it. So I asked our dream team and the whole church, would you come celebrate with us? Would you come? I'm telling y'all, y'all answered in spades. Probably 200 people crushed into this room fit for 100. Fire marshal drove by, never told this story before. The next day, I got a fine from the fire marshal, and I thought, there is no way he'll, he'll make us pay, right? Like, let me just try the apology route. Like, I'm so sorry. We didn't know that many would come. We'll obey here on out. He was like, no problem. You still have to pay the fine. We paid $500 to see 10 people get baptized, and it was the best $500 hundred dollars we could have spent I'm still praying for the fire marshal he did great in here he did great in here come on listen then we pivoted during COVID we had our first broadcast experience we weren't going to broadcast yet because we wanted to have excellent uh, uh, experience both online and in person but COVID made us pivot we went completely online then we went outdoor of the Regal Theater we had a brilliant idea that if we could meet together, many people wanted to meet and they felt safer outside, so let's do it outside. And we had it outside of the Regal Theater. The sun was hitting you under your covered umbrellas and the sun was just straight up hitting me. I'm joking. I have said a few times that the Lord loves our worship team way better than myself because that Regal Marquee blocked the sun from rising and they worshiped the whole time in the shade. The moment I got up there, the sun rose, my iPad burned up. Come on. I preached from memory a few times. I'm just like, I don't know what's happening. All I know is I'm sweating out here and, and God's people are responding and the church was being built. Then we then we moved back inside and we navigated live streaming our experience through the dashboard of a Hyundai Sonata 150 yards into the parking lot from our experience through a Cat 6 cable. Come on. God's doing something big. Until today, four and a half years of giving, serving, praying, and fasting, we are getting to cross over. Does somebody want to stop and have a praise break right now? Come on. Oh, yeah. Come on. You want to do it? Some of y'all know some of them, right? Oh, come on. All right. 
All right, some of y'all know how that goes, and some are like, I haven't been there yet. Haven't been there yet. Pastor, from a Presbyterian church, this Catholic boy up in here doesn't know what's going on. That's okay. I told you we're all in a different part of our spiritual journey, but we're so glad you're journeying with us. And the question that you must ask is now, what do we do next? And does God care what we choose? And see, when I read Joshua chapter 4, I think there's an important mandate that we can't miss. Joshua 4's uh, mandate is not, hey, you crossed over, forge ahead, full speed forward, come on, kick it into overdrive, soup engine, soup up the engine. No, it is stop and remember who you are. When you cross over, stop. Instead of running full force ahead, grab some stones out of that riverbed. I need you to erect a small monument of 12 stones tall so that the people who will come behind you, including your kids, will say, what do these stones mean? And before you just blaze a new trail, before you just go take land, stop and remember who you are. And I think that's an important mandate, and we'll talk next week about full force ahead or what do you do next, because sometimes you could say, hey, awesome goal, this is an amazing, what do we do now? We'll talk about that, and the Israelites did have more to do. They had to actually occupy Jerusalem, they had to take the territory, they had to build a temple, they had to get the ark back home into the temple, they had to pastor people, and they had to teach them to obey and to follow God, or else all of this could be lost. There was work to be done, but as for today, stop and remember who you are because some of us are like myself that you can go jobs done what's next stop and remember who you are so today before we forge ahead let's stop and remember and in our launch season before we launched in 2019 we spent about six months meeting with our launch team to say here's some values we're going to build upon so that this is who we are. They will guide us so that when we get out of line or then when we loosen ourselves a little bit, these will navigate us back in. And at the time, there were six values. And, and I love all six of the values. The problem is that sometimes they weren't as sticky or as memorable as I wanted them to be. We, we, we believed in we're going to be people who pass it on. We're not going to be people who are clingy and keeping. We're going to be generous and we're going to be passing on information, knowledge, wealth, building the kingdom of God. It's not just about our house. It's about his house globally. We're going to be people who are getting diverse. We want to look like heaven is going to look like, and that means we all have a part to play in getting diverse. I, we, we said we're, we're both presence-driven. The most important thing in the room is that the presence of God is here, and we want to be acknowledging of that, but we also want to be purpose-driven to where you can invite your friends and not go, what is going to happen up in that service today? Because God's looking to reach lost people. And we want the presence of God. We have a prayer team who's praying right now as we speak for the presence of God to touch people in this room. But we're very purpose-driven too. We will start when we said we're going to start. We're going to end when we said we're going to end. We, we, we said we are led by servant leaders. 
Not cush leaders, not people who say, I have arrived, but people who are still serving. We're enjoying life, and we're going to pursue excellence. And I love every one of those six, but recently we got together as a staff, and we, we, we like a good chef who puts together good ingredients and then reduces it down to something incredibly sweet, where you go, what is that sauce they put on top? Any of y'all done that before? I'm, I'm convinced the best restaurants, it's all in the sauce. You're just like, I've had chicken before, but what the heck is that sauce? You're like, can I get more of that sauce, please? Can you bring that out? And they're like, nope, that's all you get because we, it is a reduction. <laughs> it is the greatest elements reduced down into four, four values that we are going to stand strong on. The first one is this, love God. I would take notes because this is who we are. Love God. The Bible says in Matthew 12, when someone approached Jesus, could you take like all these laws in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and could you just like reduce them down? And he said, sure, I'll reduce it down to two. The first one is this. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Can we say that together? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. This is a, this is a bi-quadric, I had to look that term up, it's a four-way holistic kind of love. It's not a love that kicks in when I feel the presence of God and I got the flutters and, and I feel like it's a great room. It's a love that kicks in even when I'm talking to an angry person, even when somebody has misunderstood me, even when I have stubbed my toe. Praise God. Come on. I love you, Lord. Come on. Some of y'all have gotten that in your vocabulary. Oh, love you, Lord. Love you, Lord. I'm going to love him with all my heart. I'm going to make sure that he is my first love. I'm going to love him with all my soul, my mind, my will, my emotions. I'm going to love him with everything that I am, with all of my strength. This is why you might say, why is worship so expressive in here by the, by, by the worship team? Because they're trying to love him with all their strength. I have muscles today. I have movement today. I've got arms today. I'm gonna, I've got lips today. I'm going to use all of them for the praise of God. Anybody love God up in here that you can give him a praise break? It's not loving him when I need him. It's loving him and choosing to obey him in every tangible and intangible way. It means I'm loving him with my thoughts too and I'm not going, that driver who just cut me off. I have some thoughts I'd like to share with them right now. <laughs> right? Here's four practical ways that you can ramp up your love of God. Um, these aren't rocket science. You, you've probably heard them before. Number one, start your mornings with the Bible. Start your mornings with the Bible and prayer. Just carve out some time. I've said it before, I'll say it again. The best 10 minutes you can spend is not 10 more minutes snoozing your alarm. You think I'm getting just that much more sleep that I'm going to function at a high level. I promise you if you exchange it for time in his life-giving word, you will feel more refreshed from 10 minutes there than you will hitting that snooze. You know that's junky sleep anyway. Where's my sleepaholic? Sleep scientists are like, you're not in REM sleep anymore. You know you're just faking it. Even if you're not snoozing your alarm, set your alarm. 
I can remember it was about 15 years ago that I decided I'm setting my alarm 30 minutes earlier. And I'm going to spend it with God. And I spent about 15 minutes reading, and I spent about 15 minutes praying about what I was reading. And I think that that is the most important time. It has done nothing but grow in my life because this is the life I now live. I would encourage you to start with 10 minutes. Get back to it in the morning time. I praise God. Number two, reprioritize church gatherings above all other commitments. Come on. In America, we have sometimes been a comfort first culture. And I just need to be your pastor for a moment. If I'm not your pastor and you just joined, you could dismiss this one, but it's good teaching anyway. But for those of you who call me your pastor, let me tell you that the Bible says do not forsake the gathering of the brethren. Why? Because there's something special, there's something powerful when you get together in a house of praise, when you're not praising alone, but you're praising along with somebody, when you're falling on some of your Christian values and then you see it in another, iron sharpens iron. We weren't created to be in isolation. We're called a body for a reason. And if you're trying to do Christianity on your own, I have said before, you have turned Christ's body into a toenail or you have turned Christ's body into a knee it is a great part of the body it's just not designed to be alone we're more powerful together tell your neighbor we're more powerful together here's a third way you could love God give God back the first 10% of all he gives you financially and heck you could go wild and do something the Bible talks about about giving beyond that in offerings come on um, we've done that uh, all throughout this year my wife and I we have always been givers of our first 10% and we've given above and beyond but I think it was funny recently one of our young people, he's serving today, uh, he's 12 years old, and he's serving right now on one of the cameras. He's also my nephew, Jude. He looked at me last week, and he said, that sign out front is stinking awesome. And he said, and many of y'all who have been here know this, we've been doing a campaign to raise money for that sign, and we've paid for two letters. <laughs> and he goes, so we paid for it all? And I said... No, we haven't paid. We no, we haven't paid yet for the F and T. And he said, <laughs> and he, he double took and he said, "What?" I was like, "We haven't paid for the F and T." And then I went, "I realize now." <laughs> so my pitch for you today is: Will you help us pay for the F and T? Come on, <laughs> let's. <laughs> you can do that in your offerings. Here's the fourth way, obey him even when it's not your preferred way. Number two, our second value, love God. Number two, love people. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you've got to realize he's in the people business. He's about people. And if he's about people, then that means we have absolutely, I'm going to say something here that's potent. I need you to listen in. Loving people as yourself means I can't make excuses for treating anyone poorly, no matter their beliefs, backgrounds, race, gender, appearance, class, or income. You do not have to agree with everybody, and you shouldn't, by the way. But you are called to love them. I once had somebody approach me about leadership in our city 
um, who said, you need to check what leadership said about a council meeting, about a Christian event. You need to check it out because they were attacking over some sexuality issues. And I wanted to say, um, they said we're, the church is not inclusive. I think Jesus was the most inclusive person there was. He, he, he accepted everyone. Didn't agree with everybody. Told them that you will have to live and follow me. However, all are welcome. And so I remember thinking, come on, uh, uh, um, I need to check this because they said Christians aren't inclusive. And then I heard what they said and I actually wanted to go back to that member and say there has been too many Christians who have not made it inclusive. And I remember when I was lost and I needed somebody to say, I'm going to look past that for a little bit and I'm going to bring you in. You don't have to agree with everybody. You shouldn't agree with everybody. But we are called to love everybody. John 13, 35 says, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples. Say the next three words with me. If you love one another. And by the way, y'all have done this so very well for my wife and I over the last two weeks. We just want to say thank you. The prayers and the cares, the text messages, people have been uh, sending food. We haven't had to worry about that. We didn't ask for any of it, but y'all cared for us. My wife and I want to say thank you. And by the way, I want to model it one moment right now. So, uh, Daniel, would you come up here as we celebrate you? Because there is a young man in his early 20s who has spent, in my estimations, over 50 hours last week in this church making sure he's spending his time building the kingdom of God. Daniel, come up here. Come up this middle row because I don't have much time to preach, so you're just going to have to run up here. But I believe in doing for one what you wish you could do for everyone. And so many people are, are worthy candidates of this. But I think a young person who has given of their time and, and put the church first, come on, building God's house, I wanted to make sure you had some sweet kicks to run around when you do that. Come on, y'all give it up for Daniel and so many other people. You got to love on people. Number one, love on God. Number two, love on people. Number three, pursue excellence. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, work at it with your whole being for the Lord and not for man. See, we got to keep excellence in mind. We kept excellence in mind when we built this building. And when you look a little bit closer, you'll see we're not done yet. Still got a paper to F and T. Come on. But... But we believe that if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you should be one of the most excellent forms of humanity. I'm not saying you need to be perfect. I'm just saying the creator of all human beings is working inside of us. And when we stay in close proximity to us, he says, tone it down a little bit. Use your time this way. Give over here. Be less selfish. You got pride going on. He's the one who speaks to us, and he calls us to a better form of ourselves than we can be on our own. And when we do that, I think that if we're going to be great examples, we should be the best examples in work ethic too. I believe that, think about it, we have the greatest motive of all times. We do not work for a paycheck 
We do not work to impress man. We do all things as unto the Lord. So we look at our God and our creator and we say, thank you for the way that you've made me. You have done wonderful deeds. Uh, uh, my soul knows it very well. In response, I give you my best. I give you my all. And one of the reasons you give, uh, uh, you give excellence is because when you set the example of excellence, it's contagious. And people look to it and ask, where's the source? I told you I'm a Cajun from Louisiana. I did my undergrad from LSU, number one college in America. <laughs> Not in academics the year I went. It was number one in party schools the year I went. You can check the records. Number one, baby. We know how to win baseball championships, football championships, and number one party school. We are not very good on academics, so help a brother out. I remember going to a number of football games. It is as legit as it is described in Death Valley. But there was one year a certain brother came through, freshman quarterback, Florida Gators. I didn't like him very much. And it went down in history, one game I will never forget, because LSU was going to the national championship until this guy got inserted at this time to do this unprecedented thing. Watch this. Tim Tebow will go down in history as one of the greatest college football players of all time. In 2006, the future Heisman winner was just a freshman, playing in a limited role behind senior Chris Leaf. But on a sunny afternoon in October, the freshman phenom was introduced to the world on the national stage. Having already made his presence felt on the ground earlier in the game, Tebow lined up on a second and goal late in the first half with the LSU defense no doubt expecting a quarterback sneak. Tebow had other ideas on this day. Oh, jump pass. How about that? The jump pass. Number 15 had three touchdowns that afternoon and was a key spark off Yeah, that's enough. Turn Gators that off. I don't want to hear any more of his stats. It was against LSU that freaking Tim Tebow created the freaking jump pass. Everybody knew, knew he was a bruiser who just runs through the line. The brother can't pass. But on that moment, he pulls up and throws a little lob pass, like one of those humiliating, embarrassing, how high can I throw it in the air with it still not being intercepted so that every Louisiana person goes, don't come down. Come on. And, and just, I hated Tim Tebow. And yet I rooted for Tim Tebow because there was an excellence level that drove him. That drove him that even if I'm not perfect, I will be the best that I can be. Why he's gotten on the microphones to tell every single one of us. Because Jesus Christ is my Lord and I will give him the best in everything that I do. That's why we pursue excellence. That kind of excellence makes even your enemies respect you. Number four, choose joy. The band's going to come join me as we read Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. It simply says this, that the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He has sent me to give you the oil of joy for your mourning, the garment of praise 
for the spirit of heaviness. Come on, I know that there is a spirit of heaviness in our world today, but we don't have to be cloaked by it. We don't have to be burdened by it. We can come to the one who gives joy. It is the joy of the Lord that is our strength. And I'm not just saying put on the happy face and go out there and go, hi world, we're all heavy, come on. But I have a life-giving source. His name is Jesus Christ. His Holy Spirit is alive and very well and very active. And he can move inside my life. See, Jesus had to have been enjoyable for so many people to be drawn to him. Kids flock to him. Kids don't flock to grumps. People don't follow around somebody who hates their life. He had a joy source in him, even though he had the hardest mission of any human being who's ever lived. And you and I can tap into that today, too. So I know there's a spirit of heaviness. I'm not despising it. I'm not saying act like it's not there. I'm saying there's an antidote for it. The garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. Here's one of the ways you can get your joy back. Learn to praise your way happy. Don't wait for a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night. Get your own worship music out. Turn the secular stuff off. Turn the podcast off. I am a leadership podcast junkie guru too. I'm a sermon listener too. I use my audio for all kinds of things. My drive back and forth. But sometimes you have to turn it all off and just praise your way happy. Worship your Lord with the spirit uh, of joy. Come on. Our mission is too grand to allow Jesus to burden us down with the spirit of heaviness. So one way to do that is to praise your way happy. Another way to do that is turn your got-tos into get-tos. You don't got to go to church. I get to go to church today. I don't got to serve. I get to serve today. I don't got to give. I get to give today. I don't got to pray before I lay my head down. I get to pray before I lay my head down because he's moving in me. And maybe start something crazy practical. It's just a gratitude journal. Maybe the beginning of every day or maybe the end of every day. You just sit down with a journal. You just start writing down things you're grateful for because you'll start seeing God has been moving. I said God has been moving. Let me correct that. God has been moving. God is moving. I mixed them. It made sense. Can I pray for you? Because I believe that before we forge ahead, and I mean that personally and individually, and before we forge ahead, and I mean that corporately because there's a lot of lost sheep Jesus is looking for, and he's calling you and I to reach them. Before we forge ahead into anything else, stop and remember that for decades to come, people will go, what are these stones all about? Say, this, these stones have been erected to love God, love people, pursue excellence, choose joy. You can wrap that up with, be a lift in our city, because we have the greatest lifter in life, Jesus Christ. And he said in John 12, 32, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. So I want to pray for you today. Father, I thank you for every single person who's here. And I pray first and foremost that the love of God would be 
fervent and strong in every one of our lives, that we would all take a step forward. We all have room to do that. We will have room to do that until our days are over. So, Father, today I pray that you would rise that up in us. Holy Spirit, speak individually what it is that we need to do to draw closer to you. Father, I pray that you help us love people. There, there might be a segment of people that we haven't loved very well. There might be, um, the, there, the people might bother us in, in general. Come on. Some of us are extroverted and there's not a person we've met that are as an enemy. Some of us are introverted and have trouble loving people. Father, I pray that you would help us love everybody because you're in love with them. Father, I pray that you would help us in our excellence level, that we would be the best witnesses at work so that they can see the source in us, that we would be the best example at home, that we wouldn't be lazy there, that we wouldn't be lazy in spirituality, that we wouldn't be lazy in our work, that we wouldn't be lazy anywhere because, God, you gave us this time to use. Let us use it for you. And, Father, that we would choose joy because you are the source of joy, and we thank you for that strength. And with every head bowed, every eye closed, there's just one more scripture I want to share with you. 1 John 4.19, I'm going to read it over you, says, We love God because God first loved us. I'm not asking you to love him, hoping he'll love you back. Even while we were screw-ups, God still sent his son Jesus to die on a cross I remember when I got that revelation in 2002, and I realized I had a lot of sin in my life, a lot of things I was ashamed of, a lot of things that I didn't want to approach the Father about. I didn't want to see him face to face. One of the reasons, because I was scared, because if you would have asked me, are you going to heaven, I would have said, I think. I've tried to be a good person, I've tried to do right. But if you would have pushed me further, I would have known all the reasons that he shouldn't allow me. See, the Bible doesn't say anything about you make it into heaven if you do good things. It says it's by faith in Jesus Christ and faith alone. In other words, the only way to get into heaven is to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And you don't have to do anything else but make him the Lord of your life. So no one's looking around. Everybody's just reflecting on their own life, and I just want to ask you, if God loved you first, would you choose to love him back today? And that means, think about it, loving him with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. So that means I'm going all in. And if you're in this place today and you say, today's the day that I need to go all in. Maybe it's for the very first time, or maybe it's been a while and you're coming back for the first time in a long time. But if that's you in this place, would you just quickly throw your hand in the air and you could put it right back down right after. Yes, ma'am, I see you. Thank you so much. I see you in the back. Thank you very much. If you're online right now, I'm speaking to you too. Come on. You know, hey, if there's a rumbling in your spirit, that's oftentimes the spirit of God saying, today's your day. You're on the verge of it. All you have to do is put your faith in him today. I want to pray for those. I pray along with those who raised their hand, and I'm going to ask the whole church to pray along with us, okay? So you're not going to pray alone. The, the prayer I pray, ask you to pray, I can help you say the right words, but I can't make you believe it. So would everybody pray these words after me and believe it with everything you got. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. I know I'm a sinner. I've made mistakes. And I ask you to forgive me. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. And when he died on that cross, 
died to set me free. I get a new start today because of what you did, Jesus. I love you. You're my Lord. You're my Savior. The old is gone. The new has come. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Come on, church. Erupt in praise right now.